I'm Roger Baker, Executive Director of the Stratfor Center for Applied Geopolitics at RAIN, a global center of excellence for geopolitical intelligence and analysis. Learn how you can put geopolitics to work for your organization at RAINnetwork.com. This is RAIN's Essential Geopolitics Podcast, your primary source for quick and reliable geopolitical risk intelligence. I'm Emily Donahue. Welcome. In recent months, politicians and business leaders across Europe have warned about companies leaving the continent if energy prices remain high and the EU doesn't help energy-intensive industries. To discuss this, I'm joined by Adriano Bissoni, RAIN's Director of Analysis. Adriano, welcome aboard. Hello, Emily. Nice talking with you again. Yes, you too. Listen, let's start with the first part of the problem, energy conditions in Europe. Europe has been in a race against the clock to improve its security conditions for energy before the winter hits. Where are we now and what's the outlook for coming months? Well, um, when the war in Ukraine first began in February, one of Europe's main concerns was to secure energy supplies, especially throughout the 2022-2023 winter. Um, We need to keep in mind that before the war, Russia provided around 40% of Europe's natural gas and about a quarter of its crude oil. So the reliance on Russia was massive. And and the Europeans were worried, and and this proved to be right, that um, Russia would use energy as a weapon, energy as a leverage in its uh, dealings with with the European Union. And we have seen that actually materializing with Russia reducing supplies, stopping supplies at some point uh, through the multiple pipelines that connect Russia to, to the European Union. So the Europeans were right to be worried about this. So throughout the year, what they did was to make a significant effort to reduce their reliance Uh, on Russia and to diversify their supplies, particularly uh, of natural gas. Um, To do this, the Europeans increased their imports of LNG from countries such as Qatar and Ghana. They also increased their reliance on pipeline imports, uh, especially from Norway. They switched to other forms of energy, such as coal, while they also sought to reduce their domestic consumption and refill their storage capacity. Um, We need to keep in mind, however, that a big part of the reduction in consumption was because the energy prices were were so high that a lot of energy-dependent industries, such as um, fertilizer producers, um, steel and aluminum producers, had little chance but to reduce their production uh, because it was so expensive to produce that, that, that they basically had to reduce or in some cases shut down their operations, which of course is really bad for these companies, but it's also very bad for the um, greater economy. So to make a long story short, Emily, um, Europe should be fine this coming winter. Um, things are um, slightly better um, than we expected at the beginning of the war. Um, because of these measures that I just mentioned, also because um, so far the weather has been mild, um, the, the winter has not begun, but the autumn was not particularly cold in Europe, which is kind of good in this energy fight that, that Europe has with, with Russia, which means that Europe's um, storage capacity 
of um, natural gas is very, very high. It's above uh, 90%, and in some cases, it's even at 100%. Um, so in the short term, this coming winter, the 2022-2023 winter should be fine. The problem is that the following winter, that is the 2023-2024 um, winter, will present new challenges because Europe will have to once again replenish its natural gas storage while prices remain high, maybe not as high as they were in mid-2022, but still higher than before the war. Um, and its suppliers like Norway, Qatar, they will struggle to increase their output of natural gas to supply Europe. Um, and of course, we can't rule out attacks or boycotts against uh, energy infrastructure in Europe that could disrupt supplies. We have seen already a bit of this in recent months. So the immediate term looks okay energy-wise for the European Union, but the medium term still remains problematic. Adriano, can you explain the connection between high energy prices and deindustrialization? Yeah, European leaders are very worried that these um, pervasively high energy prices will result in an acceleration of the deindustrialization process in the continent as companies relocate some of or all of their production to territories that offer um, lower energy prices, lower production costs, or um, tax incentives and subsidies. Um, for example, um, and we have a very clear example of this, the European Union is very worried about what the United States is currently doing in this regard. Um, a few weeks ago, the US Congress approved um, the Inflation Reduction Act, which, among other things, introduces tax breaks for environmentally friendly activities, such as the production of electric vehicles, as long as they are manufactured in the US. This is kind of a buy American or American first kind of policy. Um, and this is the kind of policy that makes um, the Europeans very worried because it could drive a lot of manufacturing away from the continent. Um, I have a few examples that, that I think illustrate this, this uh, concern. In early March, that is right after the beginning of the war, um, one of the largest car makers in the world, Germany's uh, Volkswagen, um, warned that uh, the company would stop investing in battery factories for electric vehicles across the block if the EU failed to put energy prices under control and to beef up its industrial policy. Basically, what um, this huge car maker was already saying in March is that um, if the European Union is not cost competitive in many areas, but in particular when it comes to the cost of um, electricity and gas, then um, businesses and, and manufacturers in particular would look for other parts of the world which are more competitive. I insist this was in March and things have not improved since then. For example, um, the steelmaker ArcelorMittal, which is one of the biggest steelmakers in the world, has temporarily um, closed down its mills in France, Spain, Germany, Poland because of very high energy prices. And this is just one of many examples. I think in the coming months, a lot of European companies 
could move their operations to places like the United States, where there's a lot of energy and energy is much cheaper, where in many cases taxes are lower and where there are more subsidies for production. Adriano, that sounds like a significant challenge. What are the plans for the EU to address this? Well, um, the European Union is currently pushing for a compromise with the United States so that um, the United States exempts European companies from the Inflation Reduction Act. But I think an agreement is improbable, uh, which means that the EU will probably have to implement its own package of subsidies to react to what the US is doing. Um, In fact, Germany recently announced that it will work with France on EU industrial policy to react to the Inflation Reduction Act. So in a way, we will see a race uh, on subsidies between the EU and the US as each of these territories seek to protect their own industries and to promote uh, certain activities, especially connected to um, clean energies. Um, In the coming weeks and months, uh, the European Commission, which is the EU's executive arm, will unveil several proposals to protect its domestic industries with a particular focus on green-related activities. Um, Some of the main initiatives that have already been announced include a so-called Clean Tech Europe platform to promote industries uh, such as wind, solar, electrolyzers, heat pumps, and and, and the um, development of the electrical grid. Um, They have also announced a so-called European Sovereignty Fund, which will provide EU-backed grants and loans to private investment in clean technologies. This basically confirms that Germany is moving closer to the French position regarding um, Europe's protection of its own industrial sectors. And we need to keep in mind that Berlin tends to be like pro-business and um, anti-subsidies, but they are basically coming to terms with the fact that the European Union will have to do its own thing because the White House uh, will not make exceptions for uh, European companies. Um, So uh, the German government seems to understand that um, this this will not happen and it's increasingly willing to support the French idea of implementing joint European subsidies for clean technologies. Of course, the European Union needs to act very fast because if they don't do things at the EU level, then you will have individual member states doing their own thing, implementing their own subsidies, which could be um, very chaotic. And we could see instead of an EU wide approach to subsidies, we could see internal competition between member states, which which is a scenario that um, bureaucrats in Brussels want to avoid. Of course, the big question um, is whether this will be enough to stop the process of deindustrialization, which, by the way, began decades ago. This is not a new thing. Europe has been losing um, in particular manufacturing to other competitors for decades. The thing is, the energy crisis makes the process more acute. Um, My personal view is that these kinds of initiatives could slow down or maybe even mitigate some of the effects of the the industrialization process, but the long-term trend um, will continue because I insist uh, it predates the current energy crisis. So then what are the implications of this deindustrialization? Well, I would argue that um, the implications for the economy are obvious. 
um, it will um, negatively impact economic growth and technological developments in Europe. But um, what I would like to highlight today is that this ongoing process could um, have social and political repercussions because deindustrialization could lead to higher unemployment, especially if people fail to move to other sectors of the economy to adapt their skill set, to adapt their um, ability to work in other sectors, which in turn tends to result in um, anti-government anti-establishment sentiments that fuel um, extremist uh, positions uh, in, in, in many countries. We have already seen a lot of this in Europe in, in recent decades, right? Previous stages of deindustrialization contributed to the rise of um, anti-immigration, Eurosceptic, far-right and far-left political parties that disrupted um, the political systems in countries as diverse as the UK and France or Italy. Um, to, to different degrees, the, the rise of the former National Front, current uh, National Rally Party in, in France, um, the UKIP party that promoted Brexit in the UK, and the many um, nationalist and xenophobic movements across Central Europe are in many ways a reaction to um, globalization, which uh, moved a lot of jobs, especially manufacturing jobs, outside of Europe um, and led to a lot of people losing their jobs, many communities um, being depleted of their livelihoods and uh, facing um, significant economic problems, um, which is uh, an environment that extremist parties tend to um, take advantage of. Um, so the ongoing wave of deindustrialization could produce similar results, especially if it deepens in the coming years. Well, certainly a lot worth monitoring, of course. Thank you so much, Adriana. Thank you, Emily. As always, it's nice talking with you. You as well. Adriana Bassoni is RAIN's Director of Analysis. You can find more from Adriana Bassoni in RAIN Worldview, the geopolitical intelligence solution for professionals. Visit rainnetwork.com to find out how you can become a RAIN member. Visit rane network.com. I'm Emily Donahue. Thanks for listening.